faith and life. For some people, they're parallel roads. They never come into contact with each other. One never influences the other. Yet for some other people, faith and life are more like intersecting roads. Often they're running opposite each other, but where they do intersect, wonderful God moments can be experienced. But yet for just a few, the two roads merge into one, and the results are truly a highway to heaven. What does the road of faith and life look like in your world? We're continuing with our message series, Quarantine, and this is the third week of it, and it's based off of 2 Timothy chapter 3, in which scripture says that there is a group of people that have a form of godliness, an appearance of godliness, but actually aren't, and we're told to have nothing to do with such people. Let's start by taking a look at our text, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy saying this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Be quarantined from them, be separated. We talked, uh, the last couple weeks we started off talking about people are really lovers of self, and that's the first one that's listed in the, the, this list. Um, and we talked about how that's not only found in society, but it's made its way into the church. And then last week, we talked about lovers of money, and we talked about how, as well, that is not only found, uh, it's rampant in society, but it's also made its way into the church. Now we're going to have to skip around a little bit, because there's 18 of these, and I'm not doing an 18-week sermon series on it. So some of these I've been covering on my midweek podcast, but we're going to hop around a little bit now. Uh, And so today, what I want to talk about is ungrateful. And when I started working with this text this week, when I started thinking about ungrateful, there's another word that came to my mind, a synonym, if you will, um, and that is entitled, okay? And and I think that helps us to understand a little bit more uh, that we are not only in an ungrateful society, but we are in an entitled society. And and that's so easily seen if we just actually look at, uh, at our country, I read this past week, um, last week or two, that in California, in certain counties, uh, people still cannot be evicted for not paying rent. And this is an entitlement that was given during the, the peak of COVID when people weren't allowed to work. It, it was a protection so that if people couldn't afford, they weren't able to work and they couldn't afford to pay, uh, they wouldn't be inv- evicted. But with everything, like with entitlements, it's given, but it's really hard to, to take it back. And so two plus years later, um, it's still in place in some counties in California. Nationwide, the same thing's going on. Like just this week, I read that I think within the next two weeks, students are going to actually have to start paying again on their student loans. 
that when the economy was shut down, uh, understandably, if people weren't able to work, um, the government said you don't, you don't have to pay in your student loans. There's a moratorium on it. It kept being extended and extended and extended, and that's what entitlements are, that once we receive it, it's really hard to take it back. And then as I was kind of uh, thinking about just how we operate as a country, this was staggering, that I think our budget this year as a country is $6 trillion. And I can't wrap my mind around how much $6 trillion is, but this is what's crazy. Do you know that 70% of that budget is entitlements? 70% of the $6 trillion that our country will spend this year is entitlements. You've seen it before, I've showed it before, the debt clock. And we have a $30 trillion debt, and we have a budget every year of $6 trillion, which is a trillion plus short of what we can really afford to pay. And so if you look to that right-hand part of that, 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 red, that red section there, that in order to pay off the debt, every taxpayer in America would have to write a check for $250,000. Every taxpayer. And so our debt keeps going uh, greater and greater, and no one's willing to talk about it, even though we know that 70%, it's not defense, it's not like, you know, building roads, it's not all this other, it's entitlements. 70% of, of what gets spent is entitlements. But no one has the courage to speak about it. No politician has the courage to do anything about it, because to, to speak up against it and to do something about it, you would be labeled as, as uncaring of a group of people. In other words, if you take back the, the, the rent moratorium, you're uncaring a, a, of, of renters and, and, and people that are impoverished. If you take back, like, the, you start making students paying on their student loans, you don't care about students. Um, if, you, if you try to cut back on other entitlements, you don't care about the elderly, or you don't care about this. So no one is willing to touch this because once we're given something, we just expect it. We feel like we're owed it and we're deserved it. It would be political death to try to do anything about it. What Paul says to Timothy is when you get to the end times, people are just going to be ungrateful. They're going to be entitled. They're going to expect it. Now, we can see that totally. I just laid it out for you in terms of a society. That that's how we are as a country. But I have a sneaky suspicion if we're that way as a country, we're probably that way as individuals. And the question is, is are you and I entitled? Well, let's think about it for a second. You know, what do we teach our kids? Whatever you want, you can have. You deserve it. Don't, don't take no for an answer. It's an entitlement mentality. Think about business. What do we teach in business? The customer's always right. That's why people have temper tantrums when they're at restaurants and things don't go right because they're entitled to better service. They're entitled to their food uh, being different or better or whatever. Uh, you know, in stores, people may be having to fit in a clothing store because, you know, you won't give them a double discount. The customer's always right. It's about entitlement. When we work for a place, 
we start off oftentimes being appreciative of that job, but over time that, that drifts to this, this like entitlement almost. And so like if, if you've been at a place a long time, maybe you don't work as hard uh, because you kind of figure like they owe it to you. Like with anything in any organization, like the higher you get up in that organization or the longer that you're there, you start to feel entitled. People will steal from their companies or people will not work their full hours or they'll cut corners or this or that because in their mind they're entitled to it i mean my company doesn't pay me what they should and they owe it to me anyways it's a sense of entitlement kids have a concept of entitlement well you got it for my brother then you got to get it for me or you got it for my sister and what you do for one thing that's an entitlement mindset and we're even entitled when it comes to god that's why when things don't go our way, uh, when, when we struggle with health issues or end-of-life issues, um, we kind of feel like what God owes me is a comfortable life. I should live 100 years old. I should never have any kind of drama or difficulties, and everything should go great. And when it doesn't, we get angry with God. We complain to God. We feel not loved by God or not cared for by God. Why? Because in the end, we're part of a society that's ungrateful and entitled, and we as individuals are ungrateful and ent entitled. And that's what Paul says it will be like in the final days. I want to spend the remainder of the time this morning looking at three different passages from Scripture in which we can kind of see how God feels about entitlement, and the reality is, is he's not too fond of it. Then I want to talk about how we potentially can move away from an entitled uh, mindset. I want to start uh, by looking at a passage that you, you may be familiar with or you're not. It's, it's an interesting passage for this day and age in which we live in. It's from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Now he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them into the vineyard to work. But now about nine in the morning, he saw some other people standing around in the marketplace, and they weren't doing anything. So he went up to this new group of people at 9 a.m., and he says, uh, how about you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever's right. So they went. Now then he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. And then about five in the afternoon... When, when the workday was almost over, he went and he found others still standing around, and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and go work in my vineyard. Now when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, I want you to call all the workers together, and I want you to pay them beginning with the ones that were hired last and, and, and then eventually to the ones that were hired first. So the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon, they came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first came, they expected they would receive more. But yet each of them still only received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last, they only worked an hour, they said. And you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. 
But he answered them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to go and to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same that I gave you. And don't I have the right to do that? And to do what I want since it's my money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. I love that story, and it's so applicable to this day in which we feel entitled, in which everything has to be the same. We would be, can you imagine, like, being hired to go out and to work in the field all day, to bale hay, to uh, pick strawberries, apples, whatever. You're working in the heat all day, and, like, then the owner, like, hires people throughout the day, and literally, like, the, the people that only worked for an hour, you see him settling accounts, he's giving them a hundred bucks each. Now, that's what he told you that you were going to work for. But all of us in here, we'd be like, listen, if, he, if, if, if owners feeling genu- generous today, if, if that, they're receiving $100 for an hour's worth of work, you know, I've been working here eight, nine, ten hours. I, I'm expecting like seven, eight, nine, maybe a thousand bucks. We would all be thinking about it. We would all be offended if the, if the guys paying people for an hour's worth of work the same that we get paid. We do it in our own jobs because we all know that we're the hardest workers in our jobs, but yet they, for whatever reason, the company pays those other people just as much, if not more than us, right? It works so well on the earthly realm, but it also, it's a parable. It has a spiritual meaning. And it works really well on that as well. Been a pastor a long time. And what I hear people struggle, struggling with is, like, if murders can be in heaven, if thieves or rapists can be in heaven. In fact, think right now, who is the last person that you'd want to see in heaven? And can you imagine if they're going to be there? Because some of us, we're, we're, we're like those people that were hired early on. We were raised in the church, and we we're always good our whole lives. We didn't squander away our, our, our wealth. We, we didn't have wild living. We didn't do all of this and this and that. We're always faithful to God. We're volunteering in the church. We're teaching Sunday school. We're doing this, this, and this, and that. And then there's that person, you know, that, that killed that family, you know, being a drunken driver. And, 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 oh, because in the last, like, five years of their life, they kind of come around now they're going to be in heaven, and we resent that, and we don't like that. But, but it's the owner's money. It's God's gift of grace. You see, the problem is, is the, the more, like, we grow in our faith, it's like we feel like we kind of deserve it. This was the problem of the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees were devout. They were extremely religious. They, they weren't like the tax collectors. They weren't like the unbelievers. They weren't like the prostitutes. They, they knew God's word. They revered God's word. They tried to follow God's word. And in their mind, they felt like they were worthy. And when Jesus would go and talk to the tax collectors or, or the woman caught in adultery and all these lesser people, they were offended because they couldn't conceive of how the owner of the vineyard, that is God, w- would show the same love and mercy to them who don't deserve it versus the Pharisees who did. 
But you see, as we grow in our faith, and I can speak for myself as I grew when I didn't have a strong faith, it was really easy to look down on other groups of people. But the more I grow in my faith, the more that I realize, you know what, I don't deserve it. And I'm as thankful for those who, who figure it out in the last 15 minutes, the last five years, the last 10 years of their life. I'm as thankful as, as I am that I've received it. But it's easy for us to feel entitled. The next story I want to tell you is a story about Jonah. Now, a lot of you know the story of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet that God called to go to a group of people that the Jews didn't like. They were a group of people called the Ninevites. They weren't children of God. They, they were considered a wicked nation. And so God calls Jonah, one of his prophets, to go in to declare to the people of Nineveh that they need to repent or God's going to destroy them. And Jonah didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it for two reasons. One, uh, he didn't like the Ninevites and didn't want to see them, like, be saved. And then secondly, he just kind of figured out, you know, God's going to end up having mercy on him anyways, and it's going to be a complete waste of my time. So rather than going to Nineveh, he heads off into a different direction on a boat. Well, as he does that, God causes a storm to come up on the boat. God has his way of kind of speaking to people. So they figure out Jonah's the one that's causing the, the ship to about to, to be torn apart. So they throw Jonah overboard. Immediately, the storm grows calm, and a big fish comes, swallows up Jonah, swims him to where God intended him to be, spits him out on the land. He has to clean himself up a little bit. And then he goes and walks throughout the city of Nineveh, which was a big city in its day, like 120,000 people. That was big for back then. It took him three days to walk through the city. And he's proclaiming like that unless you repent, God's going to destroy Nineveh. And sure enough, like the king takes it to heart. And so the king decides that he's going to fast and he's going to put on sackcloth. And he orders everyone has to fast. Everyone's got to put on sackcloth, even the animals. And then God chooses to not destroy the Ninevites. And Jonah's not too happy about it. Look at the story from here, which is the part that I really want to focus on. Uh, Jonah 4, 1 to 11. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. That is, that God would not destroy Nineveh. And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said when I was at home and you, you called me? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're gracious, and I knew that you're a compassionate God. I knew that you're slow, to, you're slow to anger. I knew that you abound in love, and I knew ultimately that you're a God who will relent from sending calamity. Now, Lord, just take away my life because it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, do you have any right to be angry? Jonah went and he sat down in a place east of the city and there he made himself a shelter and he sat in the shade and he waited to see what happened to the city. It's like he still was hoping God might somehow, some way destroy it. And then the Lord God provided this large leafy plant. He made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was, he was happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God then provides a worm which chewed the plant and it withered. 
And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint, and he wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am angry. I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend it. You didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? You see, Jonah was grateful for that, for that plant. It, it grew up overnight. He, he wakes up in the morning, and it's just there. The, the Bible talks about the scorching wind. We're like stuck in 105 to 107. It's, it's miserably hot. Can you imagine like being out there under the direct sun? God provides this plant to, to cover Jonah, and Jonah's happy about it. But then God takes it away. And he's upset because he goes from being happy for something to expecting it, to being entitled. Are we much different than Jonah? How many of us were happy when we got our job? I mean, think about the job you're in right now. Like, you were happy when you got it. You're needing a job. You're wanting to get out of your last job. Whatever the situation, we don't normally take jobs unless we're happy with them. We were happy about our job. But no job's perfect. And suddenly, somewhere that gratefulness turns into complaints and about expectations not being met. You remember when you got that first pay raise and, and like, wow, they actually do appreciate me and you felt good about it, but it then doesn't take very long after it. It's like, you know what? They, they really should have given me a bigger one. Or maybe it's been two or three years since you've gotten another pay raise and, and you kind of feel like they owe it to you. You know, with, with COVID, it's like it wasn't safe to be working in the office place anymore. So all these companies sent their workers home, and they got used to working from home. It's like that plant shade that grew up. And then the company said, you know what? It's time for you guys to come back to the office. And, and that blessing maybe that it was to be able to work from home, all of a sudden it becomes expected, and you got a bunch of people who are unwilling to go back to the offices. Maybe we have a season in which we have a real comfortable life, and when that's taken away, we, we become unhappy because we just, we expect it. We're entitled to it. We receive that, buy that new house, and we're excited about it, but then after a while, it's like, it just, it's a point of frustration because there's things we don't like about it. We do that with the cars. We do it with everything. We're not really much different than Jonah. I mean, something's a blessing, but then, like, we, we expect it. It's like we're entitled to it. Early on, when I started this church many years ago, um, 
the executive board decided, you know what, at Christmas time, we're going to ask the members to contribute to a, a gift at Christmas time for the staff. And, and they collect money and they kind of, you know, hand it out to the different people that work there. And, and I mean, that was really nice when they, when they did that. I, I remember when they started doing it. I also remember like a few years into it, for whatever reason, something happened where not a lot was collected that year. In fact, I think it was like half of what it normally would be. And I remember specifically one person on staff being like annoyed by that, being offended by that, being like underappreciated be, because of it, be, because they had grown to expect this, even though it's not owed, it's arguably not even deserved. It's a gift, but yet somehow, like, I'm entitled to it. Third and final passage, which I think helps us to understand our problem with ungratefulness and entitlement, is a story of Jesus and ten lepers. Look at Luke 17, 11 to 19. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy, they met him, they stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. So as they went to go and to show themselves to the priests, they were cleansed. They were healed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back and he praised God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Now, this is significant because Samaritans are like half-breeds. They're like half-Jews mixed with unbelievers, and Jews don't count them as, as legitimate. They're foreigners. They're, they're, they're outsiders. But it's a Samaritan that comes and thanks Jesus, and Jesus asks, weren't there ten people cleansed? Where's the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except the foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, for your faith has made you well. Lepers in Jesus' day, I, I mean, it, it's a death sentence. They're eventually going to die. Not only that, it was believed to be highly contagious, which it's not. It's mildly contagious, but it was seen as high, highly contagious. So they were separated from the rest of community where they would have a life of, you know, of loneliness until they eventually died. So this miracle that Jesus did is a crazy miracle, a life-changing miracle, and only one returns to say thank you. And I have to tell you, like, when I read this, I was convicted myself because, you know what, there's a lot of things I pray to God for. There's a lot of things you guys say, hey, pastor, will you pray, pray this for me? And I, I try to remember, and I try to pray them all and, and so forth. But as I give God my prayers, as I offer up your prayers, many times, like, those prayers get answered, but I am the absolute worst at, like, coming back around to God and saying, Thank you. How about you? Do you remember to say thank you for what he does? Or do you just expect it? 
Did you, when you woke up this morning, did you thank God for giving you another day of life? Probably none of us did. Last Friday, did you thank him for keeping you safe on your drive to work? Probably none of us did. Last Friday, did you thank him for your job, even though it drives you crazy? You realize it puts a roof over your head, your family's head, and it puts food on the table. So even though it's a pain in the rear and it drives you crazy, did you remember to thank God for it? I think we just expect God will. We expect that God will make us prosperous. We expect God will make our lives easy. We expect that God will give us good health, and we expect that he'll give us good jobs, and we just don't even thank him for any of it. Here's what's interesting about that passage is the nine Jews did not come back to thank him. It was the foreigner that did. And I said, the longer that we're part of an organization, the more entitlement and expectations we have. The higher we grow in that organization, the more entitlement and expectations we have. I find this true in the church all the time. If I get someone that transfers in here 70 years old that's been a Christian their whole life, I cringe a little bit when they come in because it won't be long and I'll hear, you know what, why don't you do things this way? Why you do it like this? Well, at my church, this is how it was done. At my former, this. They come in with all of these expectations. Why? Because they've been Christians their whole lives, and, and they just expect, expect, expect. But what I get excited about is when someone comes to this church, and they've never been a Christian before, because they don't care how it's done. They don't care what the AC said at. They don't care, you know, how long the message is. They don't care about me. They don't care about any of that stuff. They're just appreciative of it. And this is what Jesus is, like the, the people that were the Jews, the people that were the faithful, they have expectations and they have entitlements. They don't even come around and say thank you. But the person who wasn't even a believer, if you will, they're the ones that are appreciative. You know what? Entitlement and ungratefulness is a lot bigger problem than what we realize. And we've got to force ourselves to develop an attitude of gratitude. Listen, things aren't going to be perfect in this life. Your job's not going to be perfect, but that doesn't mean that you don't give thanks to God for it. Your kids are not perfect, but that doesn't mean that you don't give God thanks for it. Your life isn't perfect, but that doesn't mean that you don't give God thanks for it. Your friends aren't perfect, but that doesn't mean you give thanks for it. Your relationships that you have aren't perfect. It doesn't mean that you don't give thanks for it. You do. I, um, most of you know that I lost my father earlier this year to Alzheimer's. And listen, if you've never known anyone who dies from Alzheimer's, it's, it's a terrible way to go. That's all I can say. It was a long battle with Alzheimer's. It's a terrible way to go, just quality of life and, and, and just what you can and can't do towards the end. Um, and I have to tell you, like, even in the midst of that, where most people would be maybe angry at God that a person has to suffer in that way, or when I, you know, I took three weeks to go and, and to be there and to help out, you know, before he passed, there, there's a lot that, that you could complain about that. But I have to tell you, it was the best time that I think I ever spent with my dad. 
For a variety of reasons, a parent's divorce, and even when I lived at home at an early age, you know, your dad goes to work, and he's got his hobbies and activities, and, and he's not around much. For three weeks, I was there with him every day. He couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't go anywhere because I was taking care of him. So I got to spend three weeks with him day in and day out. And part of that time, like, he knew me as his son, and I could know him as my father, and that was great. But you know what? There was the majority of that time, I got to meet my dad over and over again. How many of us get to meet our dads over and over again? But I did, and, and it was a blessing. Sometimes I met him as a coworker. Sometimes I met him as a neighbor. You know, I, and, and, and it's just, I'm so incredibly thankful for it. So rather than being angry at God, how could you let someone suffer at the end? Rather than being hurtful, hurt and resentful of the fact that oh, my own dad doesn't remember, to see the blessing in it. It shifts when we choose to have an attitude of gratitude. I encourage all of us to learn to be thankful in whatever situation that you find yourself in. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Paul says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. It's like, because you know what? To be honest with you, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it's like to be in need, and I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or I'm hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or I'm in want. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. How can you be content and and be thankful in, in hunger? How can you be content and even thankful in being broke? How can you be content and thankful even when you're on the verge of losing your job? How can you be content and thankful if someone that you love is in the process of losing their life or you're even in the process of, of, of losing yours? Because when your happy, happiness and contentment comes on Jesus, then none of that really matters. You, you see, I, I know some of us in here, we, we have really difficult lives, but the reality is, is God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't owe you anything, and I don't care how difficult it is. I don't care how limited of time we have for this, that. Whatever he chooses to give us is more than we deserve. And when we realize that and when we understand that, then all of a sudden we go from being ungrateful to grateful. And I leave you with this encouragement, finally. Learn to be grateful for grace. You know what, I came across this Bible passage this week when I was working on this message and it just, it hit home. And it says this, Luke 6, 35, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. Look at this. Because he, God, is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. And I struggled with that. Why would God be kind to the ungrateful and the wicked? And then it dawned on me, because you and I, We're the ungrateful, and we're the wicked. That none of us deserve God's grace 
the owner of the vineyard, we don't deserve the reward, the payment that he gives us. While we were still sinners, while we were still evil and wicked, God sent his son into this world to redeem this world. While you and I are still wicked and ungrateful, God shows us love and compassion. And it isn't until we recognize the depth of our sin and our despair. And it isn't until we recognize the immense price that was paid by God through his son, Jesus Christ, that once we realize that we're the evil and we're the wicked and we're the ungrateful, yet God gave us the amazing gift of Jesus Christ, then we can learn to be grateful towards grace and the grace that he gives us. And to know that whatever he gives us, no matter how hard your life is, it's more than you deserve. So be thankful and be grateful and do not live as entitled people. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious Almighty Heavenly Father, we just thank and praise you for this day and to be able to hear your word. And as Paul writes to Timothy, warning that in the final days people will be ungrateful, we have been caught up in it. And there's so many things in our lives that are so less than ideal, and it's easy to just be ungrateful. But this morning, we just choose to look at it differently. We're sorry for not circling around and saying thank you. And we're sorry for being ungrateful for the many blessings that you give. Because even as unperfect as imperfect as they all are, we recognize, gracious God, it's far more than what we deserve. But most of all, we're grateful for the gift that you've given us of your son, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.